Hey guys, this is Joe. Control is an illusion, you infantile egomaniac. No one knows what's going to happen next. Not on a freeway, not on an airplane, not inside our own bodies, and certainly not on a racetrack with 40 other infantile egomaniacs. What's up, guys? It's Eric. He didn't slam into you. He didn't bump you. He didn't nudge you. He rubbed you. And rubbing, son, is racing. <laughs> You're listening to Word the Leafy, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think that the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How you doing, Joe? Not too bad, Eric. How are you? Good. Is that a good southern accent? That is. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> I felt. I felt the 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 beer could, next to the the uh, Bud Light next to you there. Yeah, the crap. I, I, the crappy beer. Yes. I'm not drinking a crappy beer tonight. That's that was a shot at <laughs> shot at race car beer. But um, <laughs> what, you've been watching anything good on TV? What else is going on? Uh so I'm still going through the Chuck rewatch with Pow watching trying that we're halfway through season two right now and that show is awesome continues to like really grab me i i this is probably i think my third time watching it now and it's it's funny we're getting into the uh slowly getting into the subway marketing now because when the show got canceled there was a huge like subway campaign to save it because subway i i forgot how it all started but um in the show someone one of the characters had a subway sandwich so that became like the campaign for saving it because it was on the verge of getting canceled numerous times and people bought subway subs the night of an episode and emailed them and subway actually helped sponsor some of the later episodes so that was half the reason why it was continued on for as long as it did so it's funny seeing that like marketing come into play during season I two that, i wish that worked from our uh our I blockbuster know. i mean our uh, our movie scene black donnelly's campaign know, me too me too we if tried you, though. I still have tried. an email saved from um oh my god. Ah, what's his name? Dallas Dallas uh owner, basketball team. Oh, uh, Mark Cuban? Yes, I have an email from him when he's when he controlled, I think it was HDNet. I have that email archive of my my still and I asked him because he was airing black lines at the time with HDNet, they picked it up. And I remember emailing him. God, I, I kinda wanna look this up after. I remember emailing him. You know, once when the show was canceled and um, him saying he was a fan of the show and he was looking into avenues to pick it up. Nothing ever happened, obviously, but still pretty cool seeing Mark Cuban responds that email now with his own like, email address back then. Yeah. Of of professional sports owners in the States, at least, I think he's he's probably one of the coolest. Like, he, for sure, just because he's he seems like a real person given a like bajillionaire yeah but and crazy intelligent but just the fact that that even happened i mean that's kind of what i'm talking about he's cool yeah he like he's super cool he like he he just hyped out like he just was a fan of the show because he just that's why he picked up because he's a fan of the show so it was really cool yep um speaking of when we worked at at movie scene i i posted on instagram but i finally watched the lack the last blockbuster have you seen it yet Oh, no, I haven't. But Dude. it's on my two watch just because it's just for the nostalgia more than anything else. 
it it the nostalgia is crazy it is some of the stuff especially like for people that worked at, at video stores just like the little stuff that they show like they show the manager of the last last blockbuster and little things like coming in in the morning and opening up the the drop-off bin and having like the doors just like spill out like overflow with movies and um just little things like that and then and then there are obviously times where it just it bums you out but i was watching it and i was like kevin kevin smith's a big one of the main celebrities in it and so is a kid from the uh the oc one of the kids from the oc adam brody i think he is in it yeah right yeah yeah and um but I, I and Kevin Smith says something like that. He, I think it's Kevin Smith that says this. If I'm wrong, you know, feel free to message us. But I think it was him. He says that he thinks or hopes that video rental stores will make like a comeback, kind of in the way that like record stores have. Yeah. Where, and because it's so true, they they talk in the in the documentary about just the the. I mean, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably totally understand. And I'm preaching preaching to the choir, but the process of like going to the video store on a Friday night, whether it's with your buddies or with like a date or whatever and walking around and picking out a movie. And then like you go up to the counter and you grab candy and you grab a soda. It's as much as I love things like Netflix and, and prime and whatever, it's just not the same. You know, I wouldn't even care. I wouldn't even care if a video rental store opened up and said, right out of the gate like listen we're not going to have new movies like our movies are going to be you know you want to watch days of thunder we got three copies on dvd kind of like a library almost yeah yeah it sucks the way physical media is kind of just going away right now because i am a big i i while digital is convenient i still prefer physical i still you know buy my movies on physical and then if it comes out on netflix i'll just watch netflix before my digital before my physical copy but when it comes to con- phys- like media physical first always for me so it would be really cool to see that make a comeback with movies specifically but yeah boy that thing about that like i hate to say but it feels like it feels almost like a long like a like a real stretch to bring physical media back right now at least right now maybe in the future i think i think you would have to i think you would have to do it in a way where you you're catering to a certain like you wouldn't be able to have a video rental store in every town right Right. but you love b-level horror films things that like cater yeah. to an audience for sure and you'd have to have one like say you had one in like our our city our town and then like neighboring towns like you you cater to movie geeks right and, and you know what i mean popular um, avenues maybe like you know <clears throat> close to boston where yep. co- you know college cater the college kids who want to hang out on a friday night get a movie and people that are willing to like because the other part of it too is you'd probably have to be willing to go rent a movie for five dollars or you know what i mean like you'd have to be, you're not gonna you're yes you'd be able to get it for cheaper on prime or whatever but uh, yeah anyway if you're if you and i think like i said anyone listening to this podcast can relate to it if you're a fan of that sort of thing i highly recommend the documentary it's it's really cool it's it has everything that i thought i was gonna have but then there's also some some just some different things and it's 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 cool they also have a really great i'm not sure i'm, I'm pretty sure this is the same blockbuster the one that's in um where is it located right now do, do you remember where they mentioned uh washington or oregon i can't remember it was one of those two they have a twitter account and it is hilarious some of the tweets they put out so, so. i don't they go over that in the in the movie and sh- the the manager um 
says that that's not that she doesn't control that. Okay, so it's like a parody account. Yes, but okay. she's aware of it, and people come in and they like, you know, talk about it all the time, and yeah. So she says, she, and, and who knows? It could be like one of the kids that used to work there, because yeah, that's another cool thing in the documentary. She talks about how, you know, almost everyone in that town is like one of her kids because they all grow up and they all work there from when they're like 16, 17, 18. So she knows a lot of kids in the town. So yeah, there's a good chance it's some like wise ass, you know, high school kid or, or, you know, late teen, but yeah, definitely recommend it. Definitely check it out. Um, and then the other thing I have to say is mayor of East town continues to just dominate and, and it's, it's so good. It gets better and better and better. So I actually run into I actually ran an interview with um I don't know who it was part of the show it might be the costume designer or some sort of makeup designer or makeup artist in that show um they're talking about the what they tell pretty much Winslet is to have bad hair day for the set almost yeah. like so she's like worn down and yeah kind of like show that she's not taking care of herself which looking at the images I definitely get that bad head feel from her character a lot she she looks like um like a mom like she looks like a woman who's just you know doing her best to you know just busy she's got kids she's got a job she, yeah so she doesn't look like bad she just looks busy and tired yeah right you know but yeah the show is amazing and it just keeps getting better episode by episode we watched Bree and i watched sunday night's episode on monday and monday night and every time it, it gets better so that, that's what I've been watching. And the last thing I have to mention is I'm also reading a super cool book. Um, I know this is a movie podcast, but I have to mention it. It's uh, in case there are any hockey fans listening. The book's called Beauties, and it's by uh, a guy named James Duthie. He's a hockey writer, hockey media personality. And <clears throat> what it is is a collection of like cool short stories from, from hockey personalities. So he talked to people all across kind of the spectrum of like some of them are superstars and then some of them are way lesser known maybe they're like a goon or maybe they barely made it in the league or maybe they were a coach um so it's not just and they're just cool stories that aren't as known and and if you follow the sport you know that it has some of the best characters in, in pro sports so it's a super fun read and, and one of the things about it that i like is you can jump around. You don't have to read it in order because it's all short stories. So you can be like, oh, I want to read the Sidney Crosby uh, short story today and then skip three chapters and read, you know, another one. So, yeah, if, if you're a hockey fan, definitely read it. But even if you're just a sports fan or and you like to see kind of the human side of, of professional athletes, it's a it's a good one. And then uh, what I'm drinking tonight, I I went to RMA and I was I don't I was pretty sure I was going to be able to find something. So this isn't racing technically, but it's Autobahn uh, Lager from Mayflower Brewing. So it's a, it's a good one. Uh, and we've used their stuff before. I can't remember what we, which one we use, but uh, definitely recommend it. Um, check it out if you're into lagers and stuff. And I'll, I'll try to post a picture of the can later as long as I haven't. I don't think I threw it out. I'm drinking it out of a glass right now. But um, it's got like a race car, fast car thing on the, on the can. So definitely recommend it. So um uh, so we're, we're watching and talking about days of thunder. This is another listener request. This is from my buddy, Brian, who I've called out numerous times for not sending his requests. He finally sent one through. So thank you, Brian. Um, that's kind of why we picked it, but what's your memory? I think if I remember correctly, was this your first time watching this one? 
It was, yes. So again, thanks, Brian, for the suggestion here. But this is, this was my first time watching it. Um, I knew it was about racing, and I knew who the character called Trickle was, but I wasn't familiar with much more than that. How did you know? Did you know the name Cold Trickle? I did, and it was a reference. Is and actually, I think it was like actually a reference in the OC with a character making a cultural reference, and that kind oh, of yeah, a yeah, yeah. research within I that. I think you but, said that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I said this when we teased the episode, but last week. But I've my memory of this film is that I've seen it more than once. But if you asked me up until I watched it yet yeah, last night what it was about, I would have no idea. I remembered pretty much what you remember, that Tom Cruise is in it, Kidman's in it, Duvall's in it, and there's racing. And that's about it. I didn't remember the whole, you know, the whole story. And I think that the last time I watched it was in like the mid to late 90s because for some weird reason, I mean, I'd seen like clips on TV since then, but the last time I watched it straight through, I think would have been mid to late 90s because for some reason I remember watching it where my in my dad's old house so it's been a while needless to say like i said I've, I've seen it on tbs or whatever just a minute or two but the last time i watched it straight through was probably over 20 years ago so um do you have any stats as far as how this one did financially so days of thunder came out on june 27th 1990 with a budget of 60 million making 157.9 million in the box office it was written by rob not bad, right? Yeah, not yeah. bad. I didn't think it did that well. I'm not gonna it, lie. It's it had that that um, Top Gun crew reunited, which I actually mentioned in a few moments here. Which I'm sure Bruckheimer's name helps sell it as well. Yep. It was written by Robert Town, who wrote this little classic film that helped push the new Hollywood wave, Chinatown. He's also written other big films like The First Two Mission Impossible's. This movie was directed by Tony Scott, brother of Ridley Scott. And Tony directed a lot of great films from the early 80s until 2010, um, until he unfortunately passed away in 2012. Some of the films he, he directed... suicide, huh? It was suicide. I, yeah. just, I read that looking into it. I didn't know that. I must have forgot that. But sorry, and then really, really came up years later and said he was battling, which was, I guess, wasn't known. He was battling cancer at the time. So I'm sure oh. he was dealing with a lot between, yeah, you know. I guess so. But he was involved with some great films, though. He from the A's until, like I said, till 2010. Um, some of the films he directed were Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, this, uh, Part 2, True Romance, Men on Fire, Unstoppable, amongst others. And like I mentioned before, this movie reunites from the Top Gun team from the actor, director, and the producers. Yeah, no, that's quite the resume for Scott. Um, I, I, Yeah, when I was reading through the, the his bio and everything, I maybe it's because I always just mix up Ridley and Tony and I kind of merged them into one. I didn't realize that he, he killed himself. I didn't realize that he passed away, honestly. And I definitely didn't realize that he, or remember that he, he killed himself. So yeah. as far as how people think of the film, 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb, 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, three stars from Ebert. So he's a fan. And this is a quote from his review. Uh, Days of Thunder is an entertaining example of what we might call the Tom Cruise picture since it assembles most of the same elements that worked in Top Gun, The Color of Money, and Cocktail, and runs them through the formula once again. Parts of the plot are beginning to wear out their welcome, but the key ingredients are still active. So I was surprised that he liked it that much. Not No knock on the film, but it didn't, didn't strike me as like an Ebert film. But another uh, another big fan, I don't know if you saw this, Quentin Tarantino. I did, yes. You did? Okay. Yeah. So Quentin Tarantino said the film was his favorite big-budget racing movie. And then this is a quote from Tarantino. 
Yeah, yeah, you laugh, but seriously, I'm a big fan. To me, Days of Thunder is the movie Grand Prix from 1966. And is it Le Mans from 1971? Uh, it's what those movies should have been. Sure, it had a big budget, big stars, and a big director and Tony Scott, but it had fun in the it had the fun of those early AIP movies. I just don't think it works when you take the whole thing too seriously, which I think that's the best, you know, summary of this movie is if, if you're watching this movie thinking it's going to be, you know, an award winner, you're crazy. We've said that before. It's a, it's a, this, like other movies we've talked about and other movies we've reviewed well, it's a stupid eighties. I mean, I know this came out in the nineties, but it's a stupid eighties ish movie. So, um, you said it came out in June of 1990. So that month in film, some other stuff that came out, Dick Tracy, Total Recall, the Jetsons movie, uh, Lionheart with Van Damme, uh, another 48 hours, Robo Robocop 2. So <clears throat> not the best we've talked about, but not bad. There's a couple couple ones in there. And then outside of film, uh, just because this is like such a uh, pop reference when I was growing up, Jack Kevorkian assisted in an Oregon woman suicide which started that debate and that was like growing up i used to hear about that all the time the kevorkian stuff uh nolan ryan pitched his sixth no hitter mariah carey's self-titled debut album is released back when mariah carey was like this like small town lovable girl and, and now just christmas albums yeah yeah not even that because i love her christmas stuff but too, that's all it sounds like a boob light at this point it's like she's yeah. unfortunately all she has but she but it's not even that. It's that she's turned into like this like diva, which don't get me oh, wrong, yeah. she's a crazy talented person. So in that sense, she should be a diva, but she just she's not as likable <clears throat> as she used to be. And then uh so that album was released. Owen Nolan was drafted first overall by the Quebec Nordiques, one of my favorite hockey players growing up. And uh Adam Sandler joined SNL. So pretty good month. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you have a back of the DVD summary for Days of Thunder? Yes. Yeah, so in the fast-paced world of NASCAR, a rivalry brews between rookie hotshot Coach Rickle and veteran racer Roddy Burns. When both of them are seriously injured in competition, the former bitter rivals become close friends. With Cole's spirits restored by a romance with neurosurgeon Dr. Claire Lewicki, if I pronounced that right, and Roddy still sidelined by injuries, Cole decides to race Roddy's car in the Daytona 500 against underhanded newcomer Russ Wheeler. That's a that's a good summary. I. I also wrote down, so when I was trying to find this movie, I ended up renting it on Prime, and there was a few different versions of it on Prime, and each one had their its own um, like one sentence summary of it. And my favorite of the three was, uh, an upstart stock car driver goes for the edge for his manager, goes to, goes to the edge for his manager, his brain surgeon girlfriend, and himself. Like if you yeah. if you'd never heard of this movie and someone gave what you what a that, sell, what a long yeah, line, exa exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, um, and then before we get into the other, you know, the cast members or what they were doing going to the film, um, did you have any questions? Like, I had questions being a person who grew up in Massachusetts, didn't, I've never watched a race in my life of any, any kind, whether it's, you know, I don't even know the different types of racing. So I'm not even going to say it. Um, I had, I had all these questions on like, the rules and <laughs> I did too. When 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 he's trying to beat the car with like trailing all the other cars, I'm like I'm like so is he trying to get get in front of this car before? Like I'm not sure. Yeah. At the end, like the last race, he's trying like to race out. I believe in front of the 
I don't know what they call that. The slow moving car with all the other cars. The following. pace car or whatever. The pace car. That's right. The pace car. I still didn't understand if that was his like ongoing lap still. Like if he has to make that lap up. So I'm trying to figure out the rules as we go along here. Like where he is by being that car. Like if he, is he still in first place? Which they say he is, but I didn't right. understand how he was. <laughs> yeah. I, I will never be a race fan. I don't think. I mean, never say never, but. But I, I think I might enjoy sitting down and watching a race with someone who understands like the rules and the strategy, because to me, it, it looks just like cars going in circles. And I know that there, I know that there's strategy because I've heard people talk about it. And, and obviously the same people win all the time or like, just like any other sport, you know, if, if basketball was just like throwing a ball in a hoop, everyone would do it. But like Michael Jordan did it better than everyone. So there has to be strategy. I just don't understand it. So I wouldn't mind. I probably couldn't do a whole race because I think they'd last a decent amount of time. Right. It's just <laughs> a sport. Like, I feel like if I watch like the last like 20 laps, I'd be like, okay, like that's where I would probably jump in if I, if I did watch it, not the right. full 100, whatever right. it is. Right. So, but yeah, I would, I would be interested to, to do that. So yeah, I would just throw out the whole movie. I was like, wait, what? And, <laughs> but one thing I will say is that some of my favorite parts of the movie were the race scenes because like i was like i was kind of like i don't know what's going on but I, but i like i like the energy here i like you know the, the, the competition danger. yeah yeah so anyway um major cast members and stuff and how they were going into the movie you talked about scott the director so the other big ones tom cruise as cole trickle um he was already a superstar in 90, pretty much. But before this, he had The Outsiders, Risky Business, All the Right Moves, Top Gun, Color of Money, Cocktail, Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July. And then after this, he had Far and Away, which uh, I thought he met Kidman on Far and Away. I kind of forgot about this movie, but, but he did this. Like, he did that right after this. A uh, Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with a Vampire, Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire, and on and on. The 90s were, in my opinion, Tom Cruise's greatest decade. Uh, he said other good ones. He's been good in the 2000s, and he had some success in the 80s. But I think the 90s were were peak Tom Cruise. Nicole Kidman as Doctor Claire Lewicki, lover with the Australian accent. By the way, um, I kind of forgot that she was Australian. Um, she was a little bit less known coming into this than than uh, Tom Cruise was. She did have Dead Calm in '89, which she was kind of her breakout role. Then this, then Far and Away again with Cruise. Batman Forever, To Die For, Eyes Wide Shot, Moulin Rouge, The Others, Cold Mountain, Stafford Wives, and more. So she's had quite the career as well, but I think she was a little bit less experienced coming into this than Cruz was. And then Robert Duvall, a.k.a. Harry, a.k.a. my <clears throat> probably the MVP of the movie to me, or just not, maybe not the MVP, but my most my favorite character. Too many films to list. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird, Bullet, True Grit, The Godfather 1 and 2, uh, Apocalypse Now, The Natural, Colors, Newsies, Sling Blade, and then into the 90s, he had like Phenomenon, Gone in 60 Seconds, 2000s, we had stuff like We Own the Night and a million others, but a real legend. And when you see that someone, or I think it's his first or one of his first, is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird with like Gregory Peck, and to think that he's still contributing into the 2000s is, is nuts. Um, and then the last person that did make a note about is Michael Rooker, who played Rowdy Burns. He was also in Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, Sea of Love, Mall Rats, Bone Collector, Eight Men Out, 
Mississippi Burning, JFK, Cliffhanger, Tombstone, and Guardians of the Galaxy. So he had quite the career too, and I felt like I, I had to mention him. He's actually in the most recent episode of uh, the one we last watched. He was in an episode of Chuck playing the villain. He's oh, awesome is he? in it. Yeah. The person I the person I couldn't mention for this is Carrie. How do you say his name? Carrie L L's use L was. Yeah, I don't know, but he's great. Like he's obviously like in Princess Bride, and like he's just a great actor. He sold that character, in my opinion, in this movie. He did, but I I couldn't put too much work into like summing up his career because he had like three lines in the whole movie. He didn't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, that's I exactly. They were just like walk around and look like a look like a jerk. We know him as like, Prince, right. we know him as the guy from the Princess Bride who's yeah. great in it. So that's exactly, all. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. Did you have anything down for random facts, like trivia, more you know stuff? I do. Uh, so it was the first movie role of actor Nick Searcy, who's been in a ton of stuff since. Um, production began without a finished script. Scenes were often written the day of filming. During one drawing sequence, Tom Cruise actually had to read his lines off cue cards attached to his windshield, which resulted in a minor car accident. For subsequent driving sequences, Cruz was fitted with a special earpiece to have lines fed to him, which I thought was very fitting in this movie because they probably could have yep. easily been hidden with the way it was like right. <laughs> he's talking to Robert Duvall anyways. Um, the scene where Cole leaves the pits after a race to hit Russ Wheeler is based on an actual event during the 1987 All-Star race at Charlotte, North Carolina between drivers Bill Elliott and Dale Earnhardt. And my last little fact here, which I would have missed completely if I hadn't seen it. Many real-life NASCAR drivers, including Rusty Wallace, appear in the film. So it is a love letter to NASCAR in the end. Yeah, and I I also saw you said that that one story was based on something that happened in real life in NASCAR. Um, Some of the other stuff, like the rental car race, a lot of the other scenes were based on kind of behind-the-scenes NASCAR stories. So so that's pretty cool. I also, I also saw that some footage for the movie was shot during the 1990 Daytona 500, which is pretty crazy because I guess I get when they film stuff during like baseball games because it's like there's 162 baseball games. But to think that during an actual once a year Daytona 500, they'll be filming stuff is, is pretty crazy. They had two additional cars driven by Bobby Hamilton and Tommy Ellis who were added to the rear of the field for the express purpose of shooting for this movie. So they were not officially scored and they left a racetrack after just a hundred laps, 40 uh, short of the, the full race, I guess. Um, and at one point in the race, the leader of the real race, Dale Earnhardt even lapped the movie cars. So that was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. And then some casting possibilities. So Tom Cruise actually wanted Kurt Russell for the role of Rowdy Burns. So what would you, what do you think? Would you have rather, uh, uh, Kurt Russell over Michael Rooker. I don't know. I I like Michael Rooker in this movie. I thought he was. Yeah. I thought for what little time he had, compared to Cole, I thought he was pretty good in it. So I probably stick with Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. I agree. Rooker, I yeah, I think so too. Them. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so some and then one random one is Nicole Kid. This is like why people hate celebrities. Nicole Kidman wanted to study neurosurgery for her part. But the producers told her it would be a waste of time. And Nicole, it yeah. would have been. <laughs> yeah. You there was she is, no... she's a doctor for like three minutes, and she's right. never not a doctor anymore. She's a doctor so for such a small part that Cole Trickle thinks she's a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how that's how 
like minor hurt. The medical talk is in the in the movie. But and then so she plays Dr. Claire Lewicki. So some other people that were considered for that role: Robin Wright, Kim Basinger, Sandra Bullock, uh, Jodie Foster, Sarah Jessica Parker, Heather Locklear, Madonna, Michelle Pfeiffer, Molly Ringwald, Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan, Brooke Shields, Sharon Stone, and Ali Sheedy. And it's supposedly all of those except for all of those turned down the role, except for I think Robin Wright was first suggested. It didn't say that she turned it down. But just like it always is with with casting stuff, they pretty much just listed out every pretty woman from the early '90s. You know what I mean? So you never Sandra, know. Sandra Bullock's name coming out though, she wasn't really like big back at that point yet. So like '94, yeah. Speed was when she like really kind of rose. So it's interesting, 1990 having that yeah. having her be like kind of like a candidate almost. That's a good point. And Molly Ringwald, she was. I wonder if they were just like she's kind of like always going to be a teenager to people like you know we can't make that transition but yeah so some of those are some of those are interesting did you have anything down for stuff that wouldn't fly uh in today's environment some i know we have i i have one thing and you have one thing so uh I, what i have is the confederate flag is some like heroic symbol shown multiple times in the beginning of the film i thought that was pretty like it obviously hasn't aged very well <laughs> yeah and and so here's here's the thing because i i have had this talk with with so many people unfortunately so whenever you talk about the confederate flag it gets into this whole like pc thing and whether it's a politically correct thing and it's not even a pc thing it's just that when i hear people especially people from the northeast defend that my head hurts i get that unfortunately in my opinion if you're filming a realistic nascar movie in the early 90s i get that there's going to be some people with that stupid flag up but so so it's it's kind of like i could see it both ways it's i mean this is was it, even this was even a controversy in real life nascar a couple <clears throat> years ago wasn't it i remember this yeah. big deal like people some a couple of drivers wouldn't race or they were gonna like quit nascar because they couldn't yeah fly yeah. their confederate flag. i don't remember the details but i remember it being a big controversy for a little while yeah i i don't uh i i don't yeah i don't even know it's so stupid you guys lost <laughs> you guys lost the war get over it um <laughs> but but to move past the stupid Confederate flag, the other thing um, that would be if we just lost all of our Southern listeners. Oh, that's, uh, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm okay. I'm okay with losing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that would probably you could still do it, but the guy he just looked like such an asshole. Is the scene where Cole forces the doctor to grab his his nether region. That that I like that she shot him down in that scene, but I wish that she embarrassed him in front of his crew more. Like I, I wish that he yeah. looked like more of a punk. Or if okay, so because the whole thing is is you're supposed to think that he thinks it's a stripper. So if you were in that situation, like let's say alternate universe, I get Joe a stripper on Monday, and then it's funny, it's great, and then like Friday, we're at the bar, we're at the tap. And, you know, talking about movies and some girl walks up to Joe and starts talking to him and he thinks it's a stripper and he makes like some aggressive move because that's typical Joe. That's, that's so typical Joe. Joe. So Joe. <laughs> no, but, but if you did and I knew it wasn't a stripper, I'd be like, hey, hey, bud. Hey, not, not, not a stripper just, just, this time. Right, exactly. Just like one of your know, boys. Not a stripper. Right. Right. One of your boys. That's on your buddies to be like, hey, buddy, you're going to get arrested. That's not a stripper. And by the way, I know that this isn't always the way it works. But you're not supposed to do that to strippers either. Like it's <laughs> it's not okay there. But um anyway, yeah. So that's it. it. It's other than that, I mean, 
even that, it's kind of, it works with the film because Cold Trickles, the whole movie is just like, Cold Trickle is so dripping with machismo. Him and Rowdy Burns are just so competitive and masculine. So while it's like a little bit odd, it kind of goes with the movie. So um, <laughs> what did you have uh, for your favorite scene? Uh, fair scene. I put easily the scene where Cole and Rowdy they're leaving the hospital together in wheelchairs. <laughs> and what happens next? Yes. You guessed it. They start racing. I saw a comical scene at first, and both of them are dead serious racing down the halls of a hospital. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Two grown-ass men acting like, as I quoted Dr. Clear here, infantile egomaniacs, but the scene had me actually laughing throughout. And a shout-out goes to the last race in the film where I actually sort of care about NASCAR for a brief moment. I will say, though, while NASCAR racing isn't for me, this movie definitely gave me a different respect for it. Yeah, I had pretty much the same thing. I, I also like the end of the, the, the movie, but then, so that would be my favorite serious scene but my two favorite uh like bad to the point of entertaining scenes were the one that you just talked about where they're getting wheeled out and they just like they're like Fuck you bro and then the thing i was wondering too is like what are the odds of them both getting wheeled out like side by side both in the uh, same like surgery surgery room like there's like they're, they're like two peas in a pod they're just together the entire time <laughs> and then the, and then the the whether it's a nurse or like a you know, whatever the people pushing the, the, the wheelchairs, you can't hold, they're so strong that you can't just like hold the handle and be like, Hey, Hey, knock it off. Put the breakup. I'd be like, you know yeah, what? exactly. Just Stop, the it. <laughs> Stop it. But so, and then to go with that, the other, like amazingly eighties, even though this wasn't an eighties technically movie, <laughs> the car building montage scene with Duval kind of towards the beginning of the movie, it almost felt like a Rocky training like montage. And I'm pretty sure Duval was having sexual feelings for that car. <laughs> he was like, the way the way that that was going was just, it was unbelievable. But but um, I do I really do. Robert Duval was probably like my favorite character in the movie. So he was great. Did you? And he, I just, I think every time I watch a Duval movie, I forget how much I like him. He's he's at least as an actor, I don't know him personally, but he's he's such a. I, there aren't many movies that he's in that I don't I don't like him. So, um, did you write anything down for the soundtrack of this one? I did. Uh, the great Hans Zimmer composed the score with some tracks featuring a guest appearance by Jeff Beck on guitar, who is often considered one of the best in rock. Um, but this was actually the first time Zimmer composed for a Jerry Bruckheimer production, in which the list is quite long today. So this was the first of a very long partnership between the two of them. Uh, and the theme song was sung by David Carradale from the band White Snake as was requested by Mr. Tom Cruise himself. You just said uh, White Snake, like Christopher Walken. You were like, from the band White Snake. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was excited. There are legends in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. Well played. Let's see the, the pun. <laughs> um, I can't believe Tom Cruise actually like, it's like, oh, this is this is the band that has to, you know, sing our theme song here. This is this is the band. They got yeah. it. They got it. It it worked though because it it was like the right amount of like I don't know where White Snake's from, but they just they seemed like it seems like a band where if you were gonna park and tailgate with a Confederate flag <laughs> and like slam shitty you're gonna beer, get White Snake to play so. with a mullet and stuff, <laughs> like you'd be into it. It <laughs> works. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked for it to be like Queen. Because they're right. like they don't like Queen, <laughs> um, 
but so anyway, if you, uh, I'll go first because you just kind of did all the soundtrack talk. If you could change one thing about this film, so this is pretty easy for me. It's it, this is a big, a big thing, um, but it's throughout the whole movie. So the biggest problem with this one for me is like time management and how they what they spend time on. So very fast in the beginning of the film, in the first eight minutes, we go from Quaid not having a race team or a car to him recruiting Duvall to build the car having Tom Cruise roll up on a motorcycle in hopes of being the driver. Um, that could have been handled way better. I honestly would have liked it more if they removed the Kidman Cruise romance and just focused on the Cole Trickle's background story and like rise through the ranks and stuff. I get why they didn't because, you know, the ladies and some fellas love Tom Cruise and, and the female character, you, you know, you need that dynamic in, in a lot of movies. So, and it was the blueprint for Tom Cruise's other films, like Top Gun and stuff like that. So it was a proven success. But I think it hurt the movie. And another thing that they were kind of like hung up on for too long or they spent too much time on, the period of time from when uh, Cole and Rowdy have their head injury to where it gets handed off that he's going to drive Rowdy's car and he's going to race again. They, they spent way too much time just kind of like hung up in that space where the plot didn't really progress, but there's just scenes happening. And I'm not saying you have to blow past it, but at a certain point, it was like, okay, we get it. Like they both had brain injuries and <clears throat> I get it. But yeah, so that would be in a nutshell, just time management. They could have trimmed some fat in a lot of places. And I would have liked more story of where who the hell Cole is and where he came from. You actually hit one of the things I talked about with it being time. I remember towards the end of the race, it's almost been a year, and I had no idea. Like, they're like, a year, you know, I I forgot how they brought it up, but it was a year since the accident, and I had no idea it had been a year. So, like you mentioned with that, and I put the character development was awful. I sort of believed Cole and Roddy being rivals from the start. Our rookie comes in, takes the vet spotlight, and so on. But once they become friends, and while it was nice seeing them get along, it just didn't feel right. Not once did I get the feeling that they actually care about each other. Hell, even when Cole forces himself, uh, forces him to go to the doctor, a piece of me thinks it's only because Claire put that bug in his ear and he did it more for her than for Rowdy himself. Um, that brings up that brings me to the relationship between Cole and Claire. Again, not once did I feel any spark between them. They felt rushed and just another sub sort of build needless drama off of. Nicole Kim was great in this movie, though, for the little scenes she had. And then um, the rivalry between Cole and Russ. They meet only a couple of times, and a lot of that hate stems from Carrie's great acting more than anything else, I think. While I did hate his character, a piece of me wishes that um, that was crafted, that this rivalry was crafted from the beginning instead of in the middle of the film. That way, the tension between them yeah, could continue to grow over and over. But having him appear a couple of times, I just didn't really feel his hatred, other than him being just a stuck-up, you know, asshole. Right. And the, the funny thing about what you said about the, the chemistry between Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise is I believe this is where they met and then got married like pretty soon after this. So it's just funny to be like, oh, they didn't have any chemistry. But yeah, to follow up on that. And am I, you know, Brian or some other fan of like real diehard fan of this movie. So John C. Riley's character was supposed to be the son of the guy that died in the accident. Buddy, I think it was a buddy. That yeah, was his name. I think so. Unless I'm, unless I'm like mixing, but they kind of just like touch on that, and you're like, see, that would have been a cool story to. Yeah, you could have gotten rid of the whole rowdy. Either make rowdy the bad guy, right? That he that he 
and remove the rust or spend more or or spend just do the rust thing right spend exactly. more time on 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 like maybe that backstory with john c riley's character and or in the old accident or whatever but yeah but their friendship though i, I both actors are great but their friendship is just not very believable him and rowdy huh like no yeah <laughs> no and and i i michael rooker in this film like he just looks like a robot i don't know if he was supposed if that was like the character and so he was just obeying orders but yeah, I could have, I could have, like you said, either make, or like we said, either make Rowdy the bad guy and have them coming up kind of like, this is going to sound crazy to compare, compare the two, but it's kind of similar in a way. So someone who's not in the professional league, and then he makes it up and he has like this guy that he's kind of chasing the whole time, like Happy Gilmore and Shooter, like, you know, that's, that's the guy he's playing against the whole time. Like he's, he's, you and know, yeah, and I thought this was, this is my first time watching this movie. And I thought that was the case. I thought in the beginning, you know, they're rubbing against each other, rubbing cars. And I thought this was going to cause him to Rubbin's racing. I know. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Rubbin's Harry. racing, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I thought this was like going to be like the start of like this <clears throat> rivalry, this between the two of them, but right. you know, at the end of like, was it like act one? It might've been when they, when they had the accident, then it just like takes this like really weird turn from there on out. And then the the last thing, and then we'll get on to our score. Another weird thing was so I sat down going at this movie. I was like, all right, Tom Cruise is in it, Nicole Kidman's in it. It's about racing. What are you are you 40 minutes into the movie before Nicole Kidman's on screen? <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, forgot. I know. I, I, was, I was keeping I, I didn't know she was in this movie until we talked about it before we watched it. And I was keeping an eye out for her. And at first I thought the stripper was gonna be her. I was like, is this mm. how she's introduced as a yeah. stripper? But no, she it takes her, you know, like you said, I saw 30, 40 minutes before she makes her first appearance. Right. So anyway, uh, it's come to that point of the show where if you've listened before, you know, we give our, our scores on the movie. So on a scale of one to five, would you mind paying a late fee to keep this movie? So score of one is you get a couple minutes in, you turn it off between Duvall before Duvall's even built the new car and had that sexual scene where he's like rubbing the iron and stuff like that. Uh, all the way up to the score of five, which is you're willing to watch this movie a few times, keep it a few extra days to watch it more, let a friend borrow it, maybe even just buy it from the from the rental store so you can keep it forever. So it was uh, kind of a friend of mine's pick, so I'll let Joe go first. Um, Joe, on a scale of one to five, what did you give Days of Thunder? So I'm not sure if it was just because of nostalgia. Maybe this was because my first time seeing it now in 2021. It just didn't hit me that as you know as, much as other people. So I liked it. I give it 2.5. I didn't love it, but you know, I liked it. Um, NASCAR is a sport I can never get into. My uncle growing up, uh, as I grew up, would take me to races. Uh, and because he was a fan, but never really sparked interest with me. Hell, I barely even know what I drive now. But while I admit NASCAR isn't for me, I will say this movie gave me a better appreciation of it. Tom Cruise, Michael Rooker, and Robert Duvall all do a good job getting me interested in both the sport and these characters when it comes to the racing aspect. But this film definitely lacks with the character development. While the relationship between Cole and Harry felt pretty real, the romance between uh, Cole and Claire felt off, the friendship with Cole and Roddy felt off, and the rivalry between Cole and Russ was very rushed. All that said, though, I did enjoy this film for what it was, a mindless and fun 80s-90s racing film. Will I watch NASCAR now? No. Will I continue to make fun of it? Probably. But deep down inside, I respect the sport uh, a bit more and the skills, the strategy that goes along with each and every race. Yeah, I agree with what you said. And to follow up on one thing that in particular is this movie has a few people doing really well and then some other people getting just like dragged along. Like 
I think Nicole Kidman's great in the movie. <clears throat> I think Tom Cruise is, is, you know, he's doing his job as that character. I don't think their chemistry is great, like you said, but I think Duvall's awesome. But then there are other people, like even Randy Quaid, who I normally like, I was kind of like, you're pretty mediocre in this. There was just too many people. But anyway, I also uh, gave this one a 2.5. Um, and kind of follow up on what you said. I'm not a NASCAR guy, but it was 90s, 80s, bad, cheesy, whatever you want to say, to the point where it's pretty entertaining. And I, and I, I actually... So I also gave one another movie that we reviewed at the beginning of the podcast was Top Gun, which this gets compared to um, quite a bit. And when I rewatched Top Gun straight through, I was I found a lot of the same flaws as far as it has a few scenes you're going to quote forever, but it's not that great to sit down and watch for an hour and a half. So I think that this movie might be a little bit better of a movie than Top Gun. I don't like it as much as Top Gun, but it might be a little bit better. Um, you have to judge it as an 80s, 90s, you know, cheesy, cheesy movie. And uh, it's going to have weird dialogue and those cheesy scenes and denim jackets and all that stuff. But um, it's better than I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to hate it. And Brian was going to. So, Brian, if you're listening and, and you think and you're upset right now, which you probably are, I this movie entertained me. 2.5 is like. It's entertaining. It's not great, but it was a, it was a fun watch, and it was it wasn't too long. That was good. Like Joe said, I don't even ties to, Na- to NASCAR, so some stuff. This is just... my first time seeing this too, so I feel like that also has a lot to do with it. I've no nostalgia. I have no attachment to this film growing up. So right, and that, and that's to get back to the Top Gun thing. The, this is there were so many scenes in this movie where I was like, that is straight out of Top Gun, and I have way more nostalgia with Top Gun. I grew, grew up with it. It's not a great movie, but I quote it all the time. So I like Top Gun more, but this movie, like I said, might be a little bit better of an actual film than Top Gun, partially because of like Duvall and Kidman and whatever. I don't like it more, but it's a, it's it's not it's better. It's a little bit better than than Top Gun. So um, closing closing up on this one. Follow us on Instagram, worth a late fee. Brian, feel free to send another suggestion, and I promise we'll grade it fairly, like we did with this one. Um, or anyone send a suggestion worth a late fee on Instagram. We'll be back next week. Um, and we decided that since, uh, this is a, a listener request and the one before was star Wars for May 4th, we decided that star Wars was, uh, more of a Joe decision than a bro decision. So it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be my pick this week. Um, despite my broiness, we haven't done a lot of sports movies so far. So I wanted to go back to the eighties, late eighties. And rewatch um, one of my favorite baseball movies of all time, Field of Dreams. Uh, there are a lot of good baseball movies, in, in my opinion, but this has always been towards the top of my list. And so, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna. If you build it, they will come watch uh, Field of Dreams. So, thank you guys very much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Yes, as always, guys. Thank you. And Thanks, thank Brian. you, Brian, for the suggestion. <laughs>